Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your hosts, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. So today we want to talk about sermons. Where are sermons? Where are they going? Where have they been? Uh, there's a lot that can be said on this and on the form and the history of sermons, but to begin, I want to throw it off to Michael. Michael, can you tell us a little bit about the history of sermons? Sure. The history of sermons really is the history of the church, because as long as we've had the church, the importance of the spoken word has been paramount. Jesus spoke in sermons, all of his apostles spoke in sermons, so our biblical example is sermon-driven, that in order to communicate with people, you got to talk. Uh, you can't just expect people to be converted just by your actions. Um, in the early church, we saw that most uh, church leaders, most church elders were also preachers themselves. That was the job of, of, of a church leader was to preach, was to share the word with those who might not know it and to share it with those who are already Christians. One of the uh, most famous early church fathers to, to be known for his public speaking was John Chrysostom, who lived in the late 300s, the late 4th century. And not only was he known for his eloquence in public speaking, but was also known for denouncing the abuse of authority um, and really going after uh, corrupt church leaders, corrupt uh, politicians. Uh, you can think of that as something that would even be valued today. Now, it has to be said that for about the next thousand years, we don't know a lot of great preachers. We, we know about August and we know about some. But because uh, the Catholic Church um, only used the Latin language rather than the common tongue, uh, most people weren't getting things out of the sermon that you would expect them to. But uh, when the Reformation came around, the sermon was brought back to its rightful place as many church leaders uh, would do everything they can, they could to get the word out, uh, to preach where they could. I think about the Wesleys who rode about around on horseback going to multiple congregations just to preach. You could think of them as the original satellite congregations uh, where they would share one preacher in a lot of different places. Um, after the, the, the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, uh, you could think that not only was the sermon a major part of a church service, but it really was a, a type of entertainment for people because you wanted to go hear the great speaker. And it just so happens that it was wholesome entertainment. Um, Cotton Mather, John Winthrop, some of the greats of that era kind of led, led the way to the larger circuit preachers like D.L. Moody, who was a precursor for Billy Graham. Now, within Churches of Christ, we also have a great history of uh wonderful preachers who would do revival meetings, uh, trying to restore people and using it really as an evangelistic tool, which I think will probably lead us to our uh, modern question of where are we now with preaching in the church today? Well, before we get into where we are currently at, let's identify what exactly is the role of a sermon in worship, or if it's even used outside of a worship setting? Uh, what exactly is the goal of it? What's, what kind of methods are also effective once we identify what that role is? Yeah, Michael, what, uh, what do you think, uh, specifically historically, the role was? Why don't we start there? Sure. Um, so you can imagine that with a lot of people not knowing how to read, um, now, 
reading the Bible would be a great kind of uh, motivation to, to be biblically literate. But in the meantime, the sermon was a teaching tool um, for those who were already faithful to Christ. Um, they could listen to the, the preacher, uh, to a minister, and he would be telling them, you know, here's how to think about Christian ideas. Um, and so from, from a very early time, it was informative uh, when it was done within a church setting. Now, going all the way back to the day of Pentecost, we have uh, those who were preaching to convert. Um, I think about uh, George Whitfield was known for literally getting on a soapbox and preaching to whoever was walking by. So it is meant to compel people to faith, and once they're in faith, to teach them how to strengthen that faith. Stephen, uh, I want to kind of hear your thoughts on that as we move into modern preaching on specifically what Michael was just talking about with uh, preaching at some points being used for evangelism. And then, of course, Michael was hinting at that once all of Europe is Christian, it's generally just used for maintaining the faith and creating disciples um, and educating, like Michael said. Uh what do you think preaching looks like specifically in our fellowship today as regarding to those modes and just anything else that you see going on um, in the modern church? Right, so it's pretty easy to quickly notice the different kinds of preaching that go on uh, that are not necessarily pointed towards what the goal that we are, the role of the, a sermon that we just identified. If, if sermons are meant to inform people, convict people, um, you can see that there are some types of sermons out there that don't quite do that. Uh, a lot of them could be described as feel-good sermons. You also hear the term, uh, the prosperity gospel that is being preached, uh, which for our viewers that do not know, that prosperity gospel is not a gospel that really exists. You can check your Bible on that. Um, but the the way those are coming up is because people are losing the focus of what the sermon is all about. People are, are very focused on growth. Growth is important. I'm sure we all agree. But what good does it do you to have a huge church, a small church, or any size church, if the members in it are not, one, equipped with the truth? And I'm not saying that all churches are going out and uh, preaching a false gospel, but there are a lot of churches that are not ministering to people to help them live a godly lifestyle. And that, that's really what I'm talking about with those feel-good churches. Uh, members will show up, they'll hear something that uh, basically they can check off, I went to church, I listened, uh, I, I was a good Christian for the week, when really they're, they're not actually applying what God has called them to do. And they really just leave the Christian persona inside the church building's doors. Um, now let's talk about some effective things that we are actually seeing with the current ministry. Um, one of the things I really like that is becoming a lot more trendy, um, and it, not to say that it hasn't been um, popular and used throughout the history of time, or that sermons that are using analogies and really applying godly principles that you can use as examples to implement into your own life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, 
I want to go back to the, you're talking about sort of uh, mechanics and form there. And let's go back to that. But I wanted to first address sort of some trends that I've noticed that I think is relevant to bring up in churches today. Um, I was just thinking that, um, so, uh, Michael, you shared with us recently uh, a video with Timothy Keller in it. And he's famous for giving, uh, delivering sermons on a Sunday morning that are in some ways designed to outreach to his community, being in New York City, um, a place of many unbelievers. And so his sermons are very evangelistically oriented. Um, And then I'm thinking the last few sermons that I've heard, both here in Little Rock and then uh, one back in Fort Worth, are um, without any exception, purely for the church there. They are, if you... I imagine if you were to come in off the street, a lot of it wouldn't make much sense. Um, there are a lot of internal jargon going on, and um, and just uh, it's for that congregation. And then I see Steve Clower, um, whenever uh, he was uh, mentoring me when I was interning at Southside, he talked a lot about having to balance both, getting a lot of people off the street coming into church at Southside, but also being a good church for the disciples already there. So I, I think this is an important uh, idea for us to touch on. So this kind of became famous with one of the largest churches in America, Willow Creek, as they had entire services that were titled Seeker Sensitive, um, that they expected unchurched people to come to that church service, and they would make it very accessible to the people there. Now, on the other hand, uh, you also need to have a type of uh, sermon that compels those who are are already Christians. And I'm torn myself on this. Sometimes I think, well, we should expect non-Christians to come to our service because we've been inviting them. We've been evangelistic. But at the same time, there's a reality that most of the people in the audience are already Christians. How does the preacher deal with that? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I think, um, I mean, part of it is what we were already just hinting at, that uh, it depends on the kind of congregation. If you know your congregation, like I was kind of being critical just a second ago, but I mean, it makes sense. If you already know your congregation is 99% people who are um, already Christians, then it, it's kind of silly to try to make your sermon 50-50 or something like that for uh, seekers. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I am kind of, I'm okay with that. Uh, knowing uh, that those people will, they will be evangelized to by the congregation, by friendly faces and by, through small groups. Yeah. You're exactly right. As far as speaking to your audience and knowing your audience, that is paramount as far as being an effective speaker goes. But let me say, you would be lying to yourself if you thought that you're preaching to the choir in the sense that they know what's, uh, they don't need to be ministered to or educated on certain topics. Right. They need to be convicted. For example, yeah, convicted. What are, let's just take the, the common struggle with men, which would be sexual sins. And you can throw out statistics that like nine out of 10 men in the world struggle with habitual masturbation. 
Now, if you break that down into uh, according to Forward Christian Chapel, twenty eleven, it's ninety four percent. So I don't think that has any. Round, st- you're rounding down. I also want to note so that we now have to. On. Thank you for proving my point. We now have to have the uh, explicit sign on our podcast. So anyway, go ahead. Nine out of ten men in the world struggle with habitual masturbation. Now, if you break it down to a smaller scale and look at Christian men in the church. What do you think the numbers are there? Guess what? There are also 9 out of 10 men in the church also struggle with habitual masturbation. Now, that hardly ever gets talked about in a sermon setting. Why? Because you have women and children around, but maybe more and more classes and other ministries need to be focusing on problems like this. But that is a definite sign to any minister that you have a job to do. You make whatever money you do make, or if you don't make it, if you're part of a congregation where elders are preaching sermons, we've talked about that in our past podcast, but there is a job to be done, and that's why it's so important to know what are the effective ways to minister through a sermon. I think, yeah, we both agree with you that, yeah, conviction is lacking in a lot of congregations, congregations that, like you said, assume they know their audience, and so they think, okay, all I need to do is edify, um, but they forget the calling to convict as well. Well, so here's another common struggle that I think ministers have is they want to preach about what's going on in their life, whatever books they've read or whatever conferences they've recently been to, whatever whatever other preachers they uh, may idolize, not in a sinful sense, obviously, but uh, admire. Um, any, they, you, 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 it's so common that you see preachers coming and bringing whatever's on their mind when they probably should be focused on what's going on with the congregation these people what is what are they struggling with and that's part of getting to know your audience not to say that a, a lot of preachers do that they do a great so job. let me let but me let me bring I up this there thing. is a shortcoming there let me ask you a question so uh, i'm a preacher i'm one man uh, i only know so much even if i tried to reach out if i'm at a, a decently large congregation i can't do that do you think um, this is for both both or either of y'all um, that elders should take an active role in not necessarily mandating what sermon topics should be, but at least prescribing and guiding that sermon process. I'm afraid answering hurt. that. Uh, yeah, that that's true. It wouldn't hurt. Um, and I don't want to go too far into this because we talked a lot about this in our ministry and elder podcast, but um, my quick answer to that would be, uh, while it wouldn't hurt, uh, chances are your ministers are the ones who are more attuned to it. It, it. I mean, Stephen said they're not always doing it, but they are the ones that should be trained. They like I've been taught to do specifically what you said, Stephen, um, and most ministers are taught that elders, elders not? may not because they didn't go to school to have their job. They were elected to it. That may not need to be the case. I grant you that. I'm just, that's my quick reply is they usually, they don't know all the time what needs to be preached, but they may. And so a good balance is probably in order. Uh, I mean, you have a point, but I don't think that is necessarily supported by scripture. 
the few of my points are <laughs> the uh, the example That's of problem. the example of how elders lead congregations with separate ministers i personally believe is absent from scripture because what we see is ministers appointing elders or elders who serve as the preacher because they also just so happened to be the apostle that was there um so i, I think we need to have we need to be gracious when talking about what the biblical precedent is from scripture so, uh i i want Stephen, if you're okay i, I want to go back to what you were saying earlier and uh, i want to hear um, you were talking about analogies being used in the modern sermon form i wanted to hear your thoughts on that and then i had something i think i already wanted to say in response but can you can you repeat what you were saying about that so I think through the well, all of the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, a lot of churches suffered through some, and I hate pointing fingers, but just some bad sermons where you would take uh, stories from Scripture, or not stories because they're real events. Um, you'd take events that happen Real events can be stories. Sure, that's uh, they're passed along as if they were stories, but they are actual events. So they would take events that happened in the Bible and tell that story to the audience and then pepper in speculative things that could have happened that make you really think, oh, I've never thought about it that way. And it entertains, it entertains the church, but is it edifying them is it teaching them or is it just think making you think about things that oh that would be interesting if you know even like the da vinci code jesus was married and uh, had kids and because uh, he had an intimate relationship with mary magdalene it's all speculative and, and so what yeah. and so what do you th you think that's changing now yeah well i mean a lot of sermons, most of them are going away from that where they are using analogies and things that are going to help you make applications based upon what is given to us in Scripture as far as godly living goes because that's all throughout the Bible, whether it's in Jesus' teachings, Paul's writings, uh, even First uh, and Second Timothy. James is probably the most well-known book for giving uh, – advice on uh, how to uh, tame the tongue is uh, the most famous chapter uh, out of that book um, and just taking things uh, or even stories that uh, happen in modern day times Ser the, the preachers these days are taking sermons and using stories that are modern or even historical and taking those stories and applying biblical principles or what we can see that are applicable and relatable and making the church think about, okay, so these things are able to be managed, whether it's a, a sinful desire or a struggle that they might have and see how other people have dealt with them through history by using what is in the scripture. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this, I wanted to respond to that. I think I was going to disagree with you, but then near the end, I think I was more on board. Um, and so that was, uh, Michael, you've probably uh, heard this before. Um, and I, I remember hearing this in preaching class that uh, sermons, they can take uh, one of two forms uh, generally. And that's a deductive and inductive. Deductive is going to be, or here's your points. Um, let's go through this logically. Uh, 
normally that's how that manifests. And then your inductive sermons are uh, a lot of the time going to be narrative-based. So you're telling a story and you're unwinding some truth until you finally um, reveal the whole thing there at the end. Um, they don't always have to take that form. They don't always have to go in that way. Um, and what I'm about to say is not always the case, but uh, what the professor was trying to say is that in the past, we've relied mainly on deductive sermons and inductive sermons. The story ones are becoming more prevalent. Um, to add to that, uh, uh, Stephen Mee, one of my good friends, wrote on my blog um, a year or so ago, and he uh, titled his blog was uh, This American Sermon. And he was talking about um, podcasts and how those um, have brought in this uh, long-form storytelling where uh, people are telling a story week to week. And he was talking about the future of the sermon and how um, it's going to learn from this new uh, media, this new cultural um, touchstone of these podcasts and this long-form storytelling and how sermons are going to start um, incorporating stories even more um, to make their points. And I, But the th- reason I think I still agree with you, Stephen, is because he he's not saying that there'll be uh, stories where you're incorporating speculation or anything like that, stories to make a point. And I, um, I think that's kind of where you were heading towards. Yeah. Daniel, you brought up a good point there. Common jargon amongst preachers is this deductive versus inductive. You know, deductive is often been called three points in a poem, or it's how you're taught to write an essay. Um, And that type of preaching has been very common within Churches of Christ, and perhaps going going away from that. But the reason why it's so popular, first of all, it's a little easier to write for the preacher. But second of all, um, it keeps the audience more engaged, uh, especially as you're trying to deliver very difficult... um, sermon topics as you're trying to lead them through a way of thinking whereas an inductive sermon how did the early church pay attention without uh, a sh- the order of worship to fill in the blanks on i, I have no yeah. earthly idea how they how they went on without that i i go to some churches that very sinfully do not include um the fill in the blanks for their sermons <laughs> Um, no, is it, Go ahead, Mike. On, on the inductive sermon, though, I remember uh, one person described it this way. Uh, a preacher should have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. The idea being that we are very much uh, immersed in God's word, but at the same time, we're aware of what's going on around Carl us. Carl Bart. Carl Bart said that. Oh, thank you. Okay. Um, so we're aware of what's going on around us. And so the stories that we tell naturally flow out of the gospel story, because honestly, they are the same story. Um, one type of sermon structure that uh, this easily goes along with is the, the four pages sermon. There's a problem in the biblical world that mirrors a problem in the modern world. There's a solution in the, mo- excuse me, there's a solution in the biblical world, uh, which is most often the sacrifice of Jesus. And there's always a solution in the modern world that also goes back to that same biblical solution. Um, so you can put those pages in whatever order you want to, but the idea is that our problems are not uh, unique to us. Jesus went through these same problems. 
God's people have always had these same problems. And that's what the sermon is meant to communicate, that you're not alone in this world and that you have uh, someone to connect to. And some of the gifted speakers can can stretch out these stories and, and do a good job there. Some of my favorite preachers will preach for 40 minutes to an hour. Um, some, of, some of our listeners might have preachers where after 15 minutes, you're done uh, just because they don't have the ability to draw you in. That said, God's word should have the ability to draw you in no matter what skill level your preacher has. So we were talking before about feel-good sermons and this type of storytelling where you present a problem and walk them through uh, till you get to a biblical solution I think is great. Um, sometimes people can steer away from that and... Uh, make it into a story that gives you that assurance that a lot of people show up to church for that, oh, you're on the winning team. Uh, God has already won the battle, but they leave it at that and they do not give you something to, you know, like almost a homework assignment where this is what you got to do. This is what God has called you to do. And if, if we want to talk about where sermons are heading they are getting more and more towards kind of contradicting myself by saying that uh, we used to have feel-good sermons and then I'm saying we got away from it, but we're going back towards it. So, um, look. so we're in the golden age of sermons right now. That's what I'm hearing That's you right. say. So Stephen, you brought up this idea of the future of sermons. Let's make a solid transition to this as we kind of wrap up this podcast. Um, what do we expect to see in in the future as far as sermons go? Uh, what will stick around? What will change? And uh, what would you like to see? So really, this is this is my a free for all about what we want to see in the future of sermons. My preference on what I would like to see more of uh, within sermons uh, is Stephen, you can... uh, a preacher or a speaker that is going to get a crowd revved up and ready to go out and be active and leave the congregation and do the job of what the church needs to do. Minister to those who are sick and poor and needy and and not in just the subjective way of defining poor, sick, and needy. I mean, just for what it really is. If people that are in need that need to be loved, cared for, taken care of and ministered to there's a community out there and i think that the ministers and hired people from churches are taking way too much of the responsibility and that uh, a lot of people and especially larger congregations and maybe even some of the smaller ones are not doing their job and they're too content about what's going on inside the walls of their home michael you also mentioned that um, preachers need to have a bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other uh, I've often admired the seclusion that uh, communities like the Mennonites and Amish people have where they do not expose themselves to um, the evil in the world. Uh, that, and that's uh, something that we can get into at another time. But I think that uh, a preacher should, like you said, be uh, letting, giving people the uh, the weapons and the equipment that they need to be able to fight off attacks from a secular world uh, and at the same time not uh, encouraging them not to expose themselves where they don't do not need to 
I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and go next and say uh, a couple things I see happening in the future that I foresee, and then I'll end by saying what I, I hope happens. Um, first thing, I, I think, as uh, the country becomes more secular or not, who, who knows what's going on there, um, I think congregations and people who want to go to church are going to rally more and more around the preacher and the sermon. They're going to go for the sermon uh, rather than denominational ties or something else in the worship. They're going to go to see a certain person preach. And as a part of that, uh, maybe in response to or um, to cause that, uh, I think preachers are going to go more for this a storytelling approach, something that's going to entertain them, and that's what's going to draw them in. And again, whether that's uh, for better or for worse, I, that's just what I think is going to happen. Um, a lot more storytelling that's going to go on. But um, I'll, I'll end by saying what I hope happens um, with the future of preaching, and then I'll hand it over to you, Mike. And that's that, I, Stephen, you already touched on this. I hope that there's more quote unquote homework that goes on. Um, that, that was a big thing I remember learning, and I, I try to put into most of my sermons is practical application. Uh, you may not uh, frame it as homework, as in go this, go home this week and do this throughout your, your week, do these certain things, um, though you can certainly do that. But in your sermon, including very practical, uh, concrete ways that this sermon is relevant um, so that even if you don't... Uh, explicitly assign it, the members will nonetheless know um, these are practical ways that I can use it this week. Um, And I hope more of that happens because I think that is, um, at this stage, um, with all this uh, moral ambiguity and um, need for direction in the world, I think that's what's going to help people the most. So I... One thing that I'm hearing from both of you, and I'll I'll repeat here, is that the future of Christian preaching is the same as the past and the present of Christian preaching in that it is biblically based. Um, Those sermons that we hear have to be centered there. However, they're going to sound very differently than they have in the past. Uh, I think one thing that will be interesting is as... um, as we get more digitally advanced, uh, as more people are connected, I think there's going to be more of a desire for individuals of the congregation to be connected uh, with the sermon. What that looks like to me is being able to ask questions, maybe that are answered at the end of the sermon or answered in a class that follows the sermon, or maybe answered in uh, an email or a video that goes out later, or even in next week's sermon. Um, or perhaps as the congregation has questions, it will be able to be informed by, uh, it will be able to inform future preaching series. I think that preachers will be much more responsive. Do you think that we're going to ever get past the faux pas that tablets and phones do not need to be touched during a, a worship setting? Oh, no, that, 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 uh, Pandora's box has been opened on that. (laughs) I think it is. It will be uh, encouraged. I mean, I, I, I think that the church should encourage it. The church should create um, content that can be used on the phone, you know, uh, whether it's um, maybe a, a, a radio minute message uh, that goes out in podcast form. 
or something to engage with the audience, uh, not only during the worship service, but throughout the week. Um, in addition to actual uh, feedback from the congregation, sometimes in real time, I think that there's also a place, um, and I'll, two more comments and then I'll, I'll let y'all have feedback before we close down. I think that there can be dialogue within sermons. The idea of one man in front of the congregation could give way to uh, more of an interview style, not every Sunday, but sometimes. Um, and also there's the idea that uh, the the preacher is not owned by one congregation. You know, John Wesley, Charles Wesley went around on horseback. We've had uh, within our Within Churches of Christ, we've had evangelistic preachers that would go around to different congregations. I think that as the church becomes more urban, as rural churches get smaller, that's purely driven by demographics within the United States, that there's going to be more of a trend for congregations to say, yes, we support this minister, but we want to share him with everybody. And we also want to bring in a lot more preachers. Preachers won't be threatened by outside people coming in to speak. Uh, I think a growing church can show that they're not afraid of the outside world by engaging with other congregations. That's across racial lines, it's across income lines that have already separated our churches. Uh, when we're able to say, our church and your church, uh, are, these two congregations just down the street from each other are really uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that has to start with uh, preachers joining up together. So there you have it. Everybody needs to be Everybody needs to be live tweeting their sermons going forward. I, I think you could have someone designated in the congregation. I mean, well, just have a hashtag that the is in the bottom right-hand side of your PowerPoint. In the bottom left-hand side, have uh, the phone number for someone up in the booth who will throw up questions um, after the after the sermon. This is a bizarre idea here, but what if something it was so unclearly communicated? that everyone's asking questions about it and someone can flash it up on the screen right in front of the preacher and he can make a clarification statement within a few minutes. You don't think that could um, backfire and they were like, what you said is absolutely wrong or things like that. <laughs> uh, well, they, they, you're not going to know publicly. It's, they're not going to flash it up on the screen for everyone to see, but something just, you know, uh, an iPad that, that the preacher is holding in front of him. I, I don't know. I'm just saying that this type of technology could be used uh, to, to make that communication a little better. And then whoever... I think what you said is exactly right, Michael. That I, I, I didn't even think about any of that stuff, but that sounds very accurate. I, I have a fear that, um, that there will be some resistance against um, churches working together with each other, sharing out this technology and, and just sharing the, the preacher resources that they have. But I think um, what a younger generation can do, they can be biblically centered, but still encourage their congregation to work with other congregations, sharing preaching resources, sharing technology resources, because all of that will make the sermons more accessible not only to Christians, but also to non-Christians, the people who, who need to be convicted the most of what Jesus can do in their lives. That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.